When we began our study of Psalm uh, 51, I knew it, re- it would require more than one message, but I did not anticipate it requiring five. But I'm convinced that our study of this amazing psalm set against the backdrop of David's sin with Bathsheba has not been a waste of time. In fact, I find myself personally going to this psalm and Psalm 32 more than any other passages in the entire Bible. And the reason is that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. This psalm fills me with gratitude, with hope. Gratitude because of the reality of the great compassion and tender mercies of God. We should always be amazed at the grace of God. We should always be overwhelmed by his mercy to us. We have given God every reason to reject us, to forsake us. We have tested his patience over and over and over again. But when we humbly cry out for mercy, and I mean genuinely cry out for mercy, he grants it, not because we deserve it, but because he loves to bestow it. And hope because we can be assured that we are cleansed and forgiven and gloriously renewed. God will not leave us where we are. And God forbid that any of us should want to remain where we are. There is immense room for change in each of our lives. And if the Spirit of God is working in our lives, there will not be a day go by that we do not ask God to renew our hearts and transform us. We've been looking at the elements of renewal. A clean heart. In verse 10, create in me a clean heart. The root cause of our problems in life is a polluted heart. The heart's a control center of our lives. Everything flows from the heart. And we read in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, the words of Christ, there is nothing outside the man which is going into him can defile him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, and we're all there somewhere. All these things, evil things, proceed from within and defile the man. We all suffer from heart problems, spiritual heart problems, and only God can fix that. A steadfast spirit. When we sin, we start on a downward path toward instability and turmoil. We have no rest in our hearts spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and often physically. Things are not as they should be. We find ourselves agitated, confused, fearful, and distressed. All because the heart is not right with God. When the heart's not right with God, everything gets messed up. 
But when we seek God's forgiveness and he grants it to us, then we are on the pathway back to restfulness and fruitfulness. A steady spirit produces, a steadfast spirit produces a stable life. The assurance of salvation, verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. As I stated last week, the text is not stating that David is afraid of losing his salvation or has lost his salvation. I believe the, the Bible is overwhelmingly in favor of the fact that a true believer cannot lose his salvation. David has sinned grievously, yet he remains a child of God. So this is a plea for God not to reject him, not to cast him away, although he deserves it. He has repented, he has been forgiven, he sought cleansing, he has received it. What he dreaded the most was that God would forsake him. So what he is asking from God is not a restoration of salvation, but a confirmation of his salvation. We have all sinned. The sad reality is we keep falling short of the glory of God. We have all violated God's will spelled out in his commands. Every one of us lives in an imperfect state. And that is why the truth of Psalm 51 is so hopeful for us. However, if we keep on sinning, if we keep on practicing unrighteousness without repentance, it's highly probable we have no saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Many Christians do not take the holiness of God and the authority of Scripture seriously. And so we have the sad spectacle of professing Christians living like non-Christians. And I think that these people may be deceived with respect to their relationship with God. They say, well, I made a profession of faith when I was 13. That doesn't mean anything unless there is fruit being shown at some place along the line. God makes no exception for any of us. Sin is always sin. And so we as Christians especially must never justify a style of living with this out of sync with the teaching of the word of God. He wants the restoration of joy. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. David did not lose his salvation, but he surely lost the joy of his salvation. The joy of salvation is that wonderful experience that all is right between us and God. David didn't have that when he lived in disobedience. Sin produces misery, as it should. Sin produces doubt and self-loathing, as it should. Sin produces guilt and shame, as it should. So when the red light on the dashboard of our conscience begins to flash, something is wrong on the inside. Let's get it right by confessing our sins. If we're not experiencing the peace and joy that we should have as God's people, we need to ask, am I living 
consciously living in the humble obedience to the will of God? Do I love the law of God? Do I delight in the law of God? Or do I chafe at the law of God? Do I debate whether it applies to me in this situation? Because it does. (laughs) Then a willing spirit. Restore and sustain me with a willing spirit. We are neither autonomous, the word means a law unto ourselves, we are neither autonomous nor self-sufficient. We are dependent beings. We We depend upon God's grace and God's guidance. And every day we need to acknowledge this and seek the power of God. We are not as smart as we think we are and we are not as strong as we think we are. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your way straight. It goes on to say that we are to not be wise in our own eyes but to depart from evil. Then a deep concern for the spiritual welfare of others. I like verse 12. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. When our hearts are right with God, we care about people. When we are not in fellowship with God, it's not that we don't care less, but we do not care as much as we should. The focus of our lives becomes self. We're filled the hours of our days with our own pursuits, our own pleasures, the leisure, the comfort that we want to enjoy. You can bet that David gave little consideration to other people during his at least year-long Rebellion against the will of God until Nathan confronted him. But after he confessed his sin to God and pled for a new heart, his whole focus changed. Now what matters most to David is not his kingdom, but God's. Not his pleasures, but God's pleasure. True love for God will always result in loving people and serving people. We will pray for their salvation. We will want to live in such a way that our lives actually attract people to Jesus. We will want to talk about spiritual things when we are in fellowship with God. The gospel is good news. We cannot keep it to ourselves. And we must not hide the light of the gospel under a bushel so the world is not seen. Another aspect of renewal is praise to God. He speaks about this in the last part of verse 14. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Now David knows that he is forgiven. He knows he is cleansed. He is certain that God has not forsaken him. He has asked for the return of joy, but his memory keeps going back to what he did. So that's why he says again in verse 4, 
Deliver, 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. David had committed adultery. David had arranged for the murder of Uriah. David had lied. An adulterer, a murderer, and a liar. It was not possible for him to erase that from his memory. How could he? There are things that you and I have done in the recent past or the distant past that we are forgiven for because we have asked God to forgive us and he has forgiven us. But the memory is still there. The Apostle Paul kept speaking of his B.C. days, his before Christ days, as he was a Pharisee uh, out to get Christians and arrest them, imprison them, and to kill them. And he hated Jesus. And he makes several references in his writings to his past persecution of the church. Paul never, how do you forget that? You don't forget it. But he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was a saved man. Sometimes we don't feel forgiven even though God has forgiven us. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise. Take that to the bank. God will do that. But then we have the memory. We have the thoughts of what we did and how we acted. We have the feelings of guilt and shame which will return. Does that mean we're not forgiven? No. It means we don't trust our feelings. We trust God's promises to forgive us. Our part is to confess. God's promise is he'll forgive and cleanse. That's what he says he will do. I don't think it's God's will for any of us to live with the the disturbing and distressing weight of sin that never goes away. Some people say, well, is it necessary to confess the same sin over and over and over again? Yes, if you commit it over and over and over again, you need to confess it. Well, you said, well, I haven't committed it again. I haven't done that again. But I still feel horrible. I feel guilty about what I did. That's where you need grace. That's where you need mercy. That's where you need to believe that God has promised to forgive you and cleanse us. It's beyond belief that he does that, but he does do that. So don't let those distressing negative feelings rule your life and ruin your life. We are not taking sin lightly if we confess it, truly confess it, and forsake it, and go on in life. We're simply believing what God promises that he will do, and he will do it. One more thought here. There are people who think that if the person they have offended has forgiven them, then that's all that matters. If the horizontal relationship has been mended, they think they're home free. Nothing to worry about. That's a terrible deception. What did David say? Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I'm sure 
he talked, he talked to Bathsheba, who became his wife, and says, Honey, I'm, 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 what I did was wrong. I'm, I sinned against you. I sinned against your husband. I'm so sorry. I'm sure he said that. But his primary offense was against God. Time never forgives sins. Time, we can forget about sins. They can be less of an issue. And sometimes you think, well, if I avoid the other person, if I don't talk to them, if I just sort of let it go, everything's okay. Not before God, it isn't. If we have not confessed sin to God, we are still guilty of that sin. We're not forgiven. Satan is quite happy if we patch up things with people but leave Jesus and the atonement out of the equation. But we're still not, not forgiven. Then he says, Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. David has already asked God for the return of the joy of his salvation. Now he's determined to express with his mouth the joy of his salvation, with his singing, with his speaking. Paul Tripp says, we should be, returning to Christians, the most celebratory community on earth. There should be a deep and abiding joy that's the backseat of everything we do. That the, that's the back beat, not the back seat, the back beat. Each of us should carry around with us a deep sense of privilege for who we've become and what we've been given in Christ. We'll spend eternity celebrating redemption. But there's something wrong if the rehearsal for the destinies, for destiny celebration isn't beginning now. Consider the following. You have been chosen by God. If you are a believer, you've been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. From the mass of humanity, based on his sovereign grace, he has chosen you to be his child. You have to celebrate that. We have been delivered from the wrath to come because a substitute has taken that wrath. We need to celebrate that. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We have a source of power and victory. We need to celebrate that. We are redeemed, purchased out of enslavement to sin by the precious blood of Christ. Rejoice in that. We are justified. We are declared right with God because of the righteousness of Christ. We possess the sure hope of eternal life. And the list goes on and on and on. Celebrate that. Be thankful for that. I say, let's start minimizing our complaints in life, and we all have them, and our negative thinking about situations and people, and maximize thoughts of the spiritual riches we have in Christ. When we do this consistently, life takes on a new joy, and people enjoy being around us. None of us enjoys being around a grumpy, gloomy, complaining person. Don't be that kind of person. There's no reason to be that kind of person. Let me read you the words of an old hymn. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. 
Redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. Do we? I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. I know there's a crown that is waiting in yonder bright mansion for me. And soon with the spirits made perfect, at home with the Lord I shall be. Celebrate that. And then authentic worship is a sign of renewal. Verse 16, I believe, is one of the most important verses in the Bible. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. That verse, that thought, is found several times in the Bible. Many Old Testament Jews imagined that because they brought their sacrifices and came to the place of worship that all was well between them and God. They went through the motions. They worshiped by rote. It was an external act with no inner reality. Nothing changed in their life. Jesus said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Much so-called worship today in the church is mindless and meaningless repetition of words without reflection, without conviction, without anything changing in life. And it can happen in Wetaskiwin Mission Church. The very real possibility exists that we can come to this place week after week and not worship God. Because worship involves the head and the heart. The head that thinks right thoughts about God and a heart that loves God. Attitudes and actions are dramatically transformed when we worship in spirit and truth. We will not be the same this afternoon or next week if we have really worshiped here in spirit and truth. Our priorities will change. Our priorities in times of how we use our time and our energy, how we spend our money, all that will change if we worship God. So let's not be content to say, I went to church today. Good to have you here. But have you worshipped God? And if you did, visible changes will take place in your life. Notice what he says here. You do not delight in sacrifices. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. God delights in those whose focus is his glory. God is pleased when we treasure him above everything. The question I ask to Wayne Wicks is, do you? Is that you? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. The final element in renewal is deep humility. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now we've all had broken hearts because of 
issues in life, um, tragedies in life, sudden deaths in life, sudden ending of a relationship. We have been shattered. We have had our hearts broken. The psalmist isn't talking about that. He's speaking of a heart that's broken because of the crushing realization that we've offended a holy God. How often does that happen? I say it should be a common occurrence in all of our lives. We should be grieved because God is grieved. We should have a deep sense of brokenness because we have belittled God in some way. And to sin and to do it over again and not be troubled by it indicates we have a serious heart problem. Many of my thoughts for this series in Psalm 21 have come from this little book, Whiter Than Snow, Meditations on Sin and Mercy by Paul Tripp. I want want to read his comments on verse 37, or at least verse, verse 17. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And the title of this little chapter is called Hoping for a Broken Heart. Listen carefully. I'm too satisfied with the things I say, the things I do, the attitude of heart that shape my reactions day after day after day. I too easily accept quick assessments of my own righteousness in situations where I have been anything but righteous. I am too skilled at mounting plausible arguments uh, structured to make me feel okay about what I think and what I desire, what I say, what I do. I'm too defensive when a loved one makes an attempt to call me out and suggest for a moment that what I have decided, said, and done is less than godly. I am too comfortable with the state of things between you and me, too relaxed with the nature of my love for you, too able to minimize my need for your grace. In the recesses of my private world, there is so much that is wrong that I am able to convince myself is right. There are attitudes there that should not be. There are words there that should not be spoken. There are thoughts that do not agree with your view of me and mine. There are desires that take me in a different direction than what you have planned for me. I make decisions based, on, based more on what I want than on what you will. So I'm hoping, hoping for wise eyes that are able to see through the cloud of self-righteousness, and see myself as I actually am. I am praying for wise ears that are able to hear through the background noise of well-used platitudes and hear myself with clarity. And I am longing for a humble spirit that is willing to accept and confess what you reveal as you break through my defenses and show me to me. I am hoping for a broken heart. Let's pray. Lord, how flippant we can be in your presence. How routine in our prayers. How rote in our worship. Forgive us. 
We ask you, Lord, to renew our hearts because that's where the problem is. Give us the courage to read your word and let the Spirit bring mighty conviction. Give us courage to listen to what other people are trying to say to us because in their voice we may hear your voice. Lord, help us not be casual about sin. It belittles your glory. It offends your holiness. It is a rejection of your grace. So we pray for a broken heart. In Jesus' name, amen.